podcast has bad words. <laughs> you are listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, a podcast that welcomes anyone but isn't for everyone. That's right. Welcome, patrons. Thanks so much for your support. It means the world. It yes. means everything. And the and the universe. In the universe, yes. All right. Well, here we have. Uh, we're going to talk about sentimental, sentimental items. We're going to talk about minimizing sentimentality today. I wanted to start with more about less. I've got a couple articles to start with today. This first one is from our friend Joshua Becker. This is called The Problem with Always Wanting More. Mm. We live in a culture that is never satisfied and always desires more. More money, more clothes, more toys, more square feet, more followers. In fact, in many ways... The pursuit of more defines our entire society. More power, more wealth, more prestige, more reputation, more sex, more, more, more. But there is a problem with the lifestyle choice of desiring more. When we constantly desire more, we are never satisfied because no matter how we accumulate or achieve, more always exists. By definition, it is unquenchable. No matter how much money is in your bank account, there can always be more. No matter how big your house, there can always be more. No matter how many likes on your Instagram post or views on your TikTok video, there can always be more. When more is the goal, we never fully arrive. Let's pause there for a moment. Mm. On the minimal episode this week, we talked about arrival mm-hmm. and how that really creates the journey. Mm. But if more is the arrival, then there actually is not a, an arrival point. Right. You're constantly arriving just to be disappointed because you always want more. You haven't identified what enough is. And I think that's really what we'll be yeah. talking about here at the end of this article. Return to text. When more is the goal, we never fully arrive. It is insatiable. And that is the problem with always wanting more. Happiness and contentment will always elude us if we are looking for it in the acquisition of more. Mm. I suppose if it was commonplace to see an end to this pursuit, that would be a different story. If human beings eventually arrived at some level of more and suddenly became content, we could all strive to reach that magical level. Yeah. I think that's, what we, that we, that's how we trick ourselves. We think there is the magical level. We never define it. We never say that what the arrival point is, what the destination is. Mm. We just, oh, I'll get there someday. I, I want to know, so the question I have is, is there anyone out there, famous person, who has you know, died saying, I died accumulating the perfect amount of stuff? Mm. So that's thought number one. Thought number two is, I actually think, like Mariah and I, when, every time we move, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, we have like, the perfect amount of stuff. We, you know, we have accumulated exactly what we need, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't go spouting it from the mountaintops. I have the a perfect amount of things and now my life is, is great and now I can move on to other things. It's, it's almost like even if you did accumulate the right amount of things, mm-hmm. that isn't what is going to make you happy. Right. If anything, when you've accumulated the right amount of things, which by the way is way less than what you initially think it is, well then now you're just, you're freed up to do other things more meaningful in your life. Yes. So as you say, it's not going to make you happy, but the pursuit of more will make you miserable. Yes. And so yeah. getting the right amount of things 
whatever is appropriate for you, which is different from what's appropriate for me. Yep. Even with me and you being the minimalists, like I'm a bit more utilitarian than you and Mariah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that what I'm doing is better. In mm-hmm. fact, it's only better for me. It'd be worse for you. Sure. And and so what we're trying to communicate here is that your idea of enough is slightly different even from the other minimalists Mm -hmm. view of enough Mm -hmm. and then of course my enough has changed over the years when over a decade ago you and i first became minimalists i was single you were single Mm -hmm. my idea of enough had changed when i got a wife and a daughter and moved elsewhere Mm -hmm. and so like as our life changes the sort of contracting and expanding of mm-hmm. enough will also happen. Yeah. And so the enough that you have today might change. And, and in fact, it will certainly change over the course of the next year. You'll certainly acquire at least one more item over the next year, mm. but you may let go of three or four items. And so there'll be an expansion and a contraction. There are sort of mini expansions. It's not like someone who's first, when you first did your packing party, mm. giant contraction. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you were to do that again, that would be giant deprivation. Yeah. Imagine if you got rid of 80% of your possessions now. Now, yeah. You could. Yeah. And and by the way, it wouldn't make you miserable, I don't think. But what it would do is would deprive you in some way of the tools, the instruments that provide utility or joy in your life. They augment your experience of life. Yeah. But that's not the example surrounding us. Quite the opposite, in fact. Most everybody who acquires more only continues to pursue it. We see it in the lives of individuals who amass great fortunes but are not satisfied. We see it in the world's largest corporations who continue to pursue greater and greater market share and profits. In fact, that's a weird thing, Ryan. So corporations in America, other than B Corps, they have a fiduciary responsibility for more. Yeah. It's illegal for a corporation not to pursue more. Yeah. Think of how we've set up our society. We're engineering discontent. Yeah. Ooh, is that a is that an episode title, Sean? I don't know. It's interesting because it's not like I mean, it's not capitalism's fault that it's it's taken this it's gone this far, right? I mean It's corporatism though. It's corporatism. So yeah, it's just because I struggle with um I struggle with, you know, the idea of like, oh man, capitalism, you know, it's look at what it's done to us. But, but I, I but I am a capitalist. Right. And so um, the word capitalist was actually invented by Marxists mm. to, so as a pejorative at first. Oh, interesting. And, and so like, we still use it pejoratively today. Now you and I, we believe in sort of personal socialism and public capitalism in a right. way. Yeah. Like, because you and I, we contribute beyond ourselves to a bunch of different worthy causes. Yes. And, and so we believe in sort of personal redistribution mm-hmm. of our own income, right? Yeah. I was going to say wealth, but I'm certainly not wealthy. <laughs> but like, but um, when we've identified what enough is and be able to contribute beyond that, yeah. it has been an important piece for us. We're not yeah. prescribing that to anyone, mm-hmm. but what we've recognized is that giving is living for yeah. us. And yeah. so being able to give in, in various ways, sometimes that's monetary, mm-hmm. sometimes it's time, sometimes it's even doing uh, the, our free public podcast is a way for us to give. You know, there aren't any advertisements or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now you're right though, with the, the, unfortunately we confuse capitalism with crony capitalism or what i would just call corporatism so crony capitalism and corporatism would be i think they're the same thing synonyms okay yeah yeah and so so 
crony capitalism is it, maybe if it were slightly different, it would be corporatism in bed with the government. Right. So that's the cronyism part yeah. of it. Yeah. So you have cronyism and you have corporatism together. You get crony capitalism yeah. in a way. And that, by the way, that's the opposite of the free market. When the society that yeah. around you now gives advantages to major corporations, mm-hmm. how does the little guy even win in the first place? Especially when those corporations have a legal responsibility to their shareholders to amass more. It's unbelievable. How do they amass more? It's by creating false desires in the populace. Yeah. No wonder we're so stressed out and miserable. They're engineering discontent. Yeah. We see it in those who acquire power and then work relentlessly to keep it and expand upon it. In the early 1900s, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world. He was famously asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. (laughs) The richest man in the world, not satisfied, still in the pursuit of more. More can never satisfy maybe that's the episode title sean more Mm. can never satisfy that's but we it's precisely what we seek with more Mm. we seek satisfaction yeah and i will actually even disagree to a certain extent i think what what he really means is long term more does not satisfy yeah the problem is it does satisfy temporarily like if you gorge on an entire chocolate cake right you're satisfied. Sure. Or even if it's a healthy meal. Yes. Like, yeah, you, you're hungry. You want more food. So then you, you, you know, you have a meal. Maybe it's a nice healthy meal. But if you continue to pursue more food, it's eventually going to, uh, it's going to hurt you. Yes. Yeah. We'll put a link to this article in the show notes. The website is becomingminimalist.com. Our good friend Joshua Becker, you know him from, well, he's in our new book, Love People Use Things. Yeah. Uh, he's in there. He's actually in the opening chapter and he's also in the introduction chapter as well mm-hmm. and um of course he was in our first documentary minimalism yeah. a documentary about the important things yeah he's one of the major inspirations for all of this and i love I, how for some reason people get him and i confused well here's why because <laughs> you and him especially when you had short hair looked yes. somewhat similar kind of yeah it's like oh handsome white guy right <laughs> and uh with dark all hair us, all those white guys look alike and then my name's joshua yeah and we're the minimalists oh yeah, and so, so they're conflating. And what happens if you and I have a baby? It's Joshua Becker, an I older see. baby. <laughs> I think he's maybe, I don't know, five years older than us, although he actually looks younger than we do. He also has a YouTube channel now, uh, which I would, uh, let's put a link to that in the show notes as well. Let me, let me ref- he has a few stats in here that I think are worth talking about, Ryan. Maybe we can use these as a jump off point to continue the discussion. Yeah. Other larger, less anecdotal studies come to the same conclusion that even the wealthiest among us are never fully satisfied. Of course, we don't need to look at the lives of others to understand this phenomenon. Look in the mirror. Uh, One look in the mirror reveals the same motivation inside us. The average American home has tripled in size in the last 50 years and continues to grow larger and larger. The average American owns four times the amount of clothes as her grandmother Wow. Four times, but continues to purchase more. Here's another stat for you that I'm just recalling off the top of my head. The average American, uh, it probably applies to anyone in the Western world at this point, the average American throws away 88 pounds of clothing a year. Mm. 
imagine what we're doing and yet we're continuing to amass more we can go shopping in our own closets mm-hmm. now, i'm not saying like of course i have a shirt that wears out i'm going to throw it out eventually yeah, right? right i did this recently with a couple of shirts right uh the average american home has 300,000 items in it yes that's true yeah and yet amazon arrives on the doorstep several times each week mm. when more is the goal we will never find contentment more is always a moving target never fully attainable we live life with only two options we can continue to pursue more this is the first option Mm. we can believe there is a better life waiting if we are just to acquire more money more property more fame we can or number two we can reject the false notion that more is needed to discover happiness Mm. and we can find contentment in our circumstances and gratitude for the blessings we already possess the choice is yours as for me i'll choose contentment with less yeah amen so so, yes the contentment is actually uncovered by subtraction Mm. i think you and i were talking about this at one point john paulson my favorite architect he he's a minimalist architect in england and he he talks about his his design approach is to reduce until the thing can't be made better through subtraction. Mm. And so what you're recognizing, the implicit message of that is things are almost always made better through subtraction, Mm. especially in today's world. When we have the 300,000 items or four times more clothes or 88 pounds of trash clothes or all of the watches and jewelry and kitchen appliances and utensils and furniture and artwork and decorative items, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's more on top of that is just hoarding. Mm. Subtraction, however, comes from an understanding that the happiness is buried beneath the stuff. Yeah. The peace, the contentment, whatever you want to call it. I think, I think this whole journey and the philosophy, I mean, obviously we're trying to help people understand to love people and use things because the opposite never works. But you know, the other, the other side of that coin, I guess, is to find balance Mm -hmm. because if you pursue more, you're going to be miserable. If you pursue less to you're eventually going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a balance that I think minimal. It's because minimalism sounds so drastic. It sounds like you're living with nothing. Yes. But really, I feel like that is the balance. Right, yeah. I agree. And it's going to be easier for you to find. You know, there's religious texts that will all tell you the same thing here, right? That it's going to be easier for you to find contentment with nothing than it is with everything. Yeah. And and then because once you get down to nothing you've questioned everything at that point then you can start to figure out like okay there are some things that are going to amplify my experience of, of life that, that could become utilities in my life yeah. but i don't need them for contentment mm. and i think once we understand that peace cannot be acquired mm. peace cannot be purchased at the checkout line we can't swipe and spend our way to tranquility mm. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah. I have another article here because we're going to be talking about nostalgia. I'm going to hold that off for a second because we have a question from Deidre. What is sentimentality? What are we truly sentimentally attached to compared to what we hang on to out of obligation? So I will say ultimately it's all obligation. It's either someone else's obligation, Ryan, or it's 
this own sort of pious sense of obligation. We, we've, we've told ourselves that we're obligated to holding on. So something is sentimental. Yeah. Let's define what sentimentality means. Mm. And I, it always struck me as odd back in my 20s. I was first turned off to sentimentality by some of my favorite authors, Jonathan Franzen mm. or Mary Carr, Laurie Moore or... Uh, Brady Stanellis or David Foster Wallace, they all seem to be somewhat allergic to sentimentality in mm-hmm. a way, but they weren't allergic to sincerity. Yeah. And what I noticed was, oh, in our culture, we conflate sentimentality with sincerity. Mm. And it's even amplified now because of social media. You see sure. someone crying on their social media feed. It's like you realize they had to plan that. Right. They, I mean, in almost every case, someone turns on their camera, hits record so they can cry to their TikTok audience or whatever. Right. That's sentimentality. Well, what is sentimentality? Well, the definition is excessive tenderness, sadness, or nostalgia. Mm. So it's excessive. Yeah. And by the way, that's the only definition of, of sentimentality. Interesting. I, I didn't realize... I didn't realize it meant excessive. Right. So uh, you always thought of it as sincerity, right? And so did yeah, I. Yeah. And and what I want to communicate here is, we can only get to sincerity when we set aside the sentimentality. Yeah. And and so I want to talk about nostalgia for a moment because I think nostalgia is dangerous. In fact, I have an essay called "Nostalgia Is Dangerous." We'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's very short. I think I wrote this in twenty. 15 or maybe 2017 and it's while we were on break from tour remember back when we were allowed to tour <laughs> actually we're going to be doing that again soon Good old days. Yeah. uh later this year with love people use things our patrons will actually be the first to know about any tour stops we have coming out yeah. and you'll have first access to the best seats in the house but here's the essay nostalgia is dangerous when i traveled back to dayton ohio last month on a quick break from tour i felt revived by waves of nostalgia as I maneuvered through my hometown, walking the downtown streets amid towering buildings glimmering in the summer sun, driving the outskirts of town through cornfields so green they appeared radioactive, passing my childhood home, inhaling the memories of adolescence. But there's a problem with nostalgia. It tells only half-truths. And thus, the full truth isn't as fragrant as my wistful reminiscence. Most of those skyscrapers are abandoned. The cornfields are subsumed by cookie-cutter suburbia. I should probably add to that. They're also filled with pesticides. (laughs) And uh, corn syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's also true. (laughs) Who thought even corn's even... It's not even healthy. It's not a food. Right. It's a fake food. Yeah. And the house that raised me is boarded up after decades of disrepair. You mm. all saw that in Lessons Now. However, I did get an update from the city manager. Oh, yeah, that's right. He texted us and said, hey, here's a picture of the house. Because we filmed that, I don't 2018 maybe, 2019, whenever that Are was. Are revitalizing it? Yeah, they, they, it's been revitalized now. Nice. In 2021, it is now a revitalized house. Outstanding. And, I think that when we filmed it, they, they, we suspected there were squatters in there. It looked like someone was living oh, in right. that old abandoned house that I grew up in. And and so, yes, even that can be revitalized. However, nostalgia is a rose-colored rear view. Not only does it falsely represent the past, keeping us clinging to a two-dimensional version of life that didn't actually exist, it dampens the present and clouds the future. Mm. 
If we want things to, quote, be the way they were, or if we hope to make something, quote, great again, so I must have written this in 2016, 2017, when <laughs> right. that was, everyone was worried about making something great again, yeah. then we're missing out on how good this moment is. To be clear, that's not a political statement. What I'm saying is, if we're looking to the past for greatness, yeah, yeah we can look at some ingredients there, but recognize that making it just like the past is also going to make it just as miserable as the past. Right. And so we need to be clear about nostalgia. Don't get me wrong. I still love my hometown, not for what it used to be, but for what it is right now. Mm. And so when we're talking about a s- nostalgia. Uh, that's really what sentimentality is. It's taking a 3D world, which was filled with pain and misery and grief and sorrow and sadness and negativity and taking all those bad elements, filtering out the poop from the poop stew, mm-hmm. and then serving up the rest of the stew to you. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, it still tastes like crap mm. and if we try to recreate that. Yeah. And so and I'm not saying we have to throw out the past, but what I'm saying is we have to recognize that it's not as rosy as we pretend it is. Yeah. That's like, what sentimentality does to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfectly, you know, for me, it's perfectly fine to have a nostalgic feeling i'm trying to think like when i watch star trek yes i like go back to where my dad and i it was like the only peaceful time like the truly consistent consistently peaceful time in our house is when we sat on the couch and watched star trek the next generation and we would laugh and we would you know enjoy those episodes together so i watch like i'll watch star trek the next generation and i get that nostalgic feeling yes um but i don't live in the past yeah i don't um you know i don't have any i don't know i I don't let it control the present moment as much as um i just am having some reminiscence and it's okay and i'm I'm just i guess all the the only reason i'm saying this is because it's okay to reminisce it's okay to have good memories of course but if it's if if the those memories if that nostalgia it's preventing you from moving forward or even worse, taking away from the present moment. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's where uh, I think this sentimentality comes in. It can be a bit harmful. It absolutely can because it's excessive and it's even in the definition, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about sentimental items, well, what does that mean? We've assigned some sort of sentimentality to the item. Mm-hmm. Nothing is sentimental unless we assign it sentimentality. Excessive tenderness, nostalgia, or even sadness in some cases, but we're not talking about the sadness component here. We're right. talking about tenderness and, and nostalgia. Yeah. And, and it has become a type of prison, the prison of nostalgia. Ooh, is that the, the prison episode title? Of nostal- we got like three episode oh titles. Oh my goodness. Ryan, let's get to some of these surprise yeah. questions that Podcast Sean put together for us. Julia has a question for us. What are some creative ways to repurpose sentimental items for daily use rather than having them simply collect dust on a shelf? So let's look at this question here. I think this question was an important question to start with. Bravo, Sean, because here, here's what we have here. Sometimes we want to recognize Ryan and I aren't asking you to get rid of your sentimental items. We're really not asking you to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> and, however, I, I get that people can 
say, well, you know, the, the extreme utilitarian has no need for sentimental items. Mm. That's true, the extreme utilitarian, but that's, we're not the utilitarianists, mm-hmm. right? Now, I'm a bit more utilitarian <laughs> than you. The domain was taken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got .cc, <laughs> .co. All right, yeah. uh, so yes, you, yes, you're u- more utilitarian than I am, and, yes. And, and that's fine, but even someone who is somewhat utilitarian like me, I still have some sentimental mental items mm. and, and so I haven't eschewed and I ha- certainly haven't renounced sentimental items what I've recognized though remember we talked about minimalism does not beget wisdom yeah wisdom begets minimalism yeah and, and what I'm saying there is once I understood that like oh I'm giving so much meaning and especially with the sentimental items I'm giving those disproportionate meaning mm. and it can be anything right like yeah. I I, I when I was going through my mom's stuff, she had, she wasn't a hoarder, but she was a maximalist. Mm. And she had a lot of beautiful things, right? And I imparted meaning into everything that I was dealing with. Before I even discovered minimalism, I, then I realized like, oh, if everything's meaningful, then nothing is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so once I recognized that, it begets minimalism. Oh, well then it seems to me that if I truly want some of these things to be meaningful to me, I'm going to have to let go of some of these things. Otherwise, I've spread my meaning too thin. If you have a bucket of meaning, you can either have some depth, you can put a few things in that bucket, or you have to spread it out over 300,000 items, and then nothing's actually meaningful in the first place. So getting back to Julia's question, repurposing sentimental items for daily use rather than having them simply collect dust on a shelf, I would just add to that, or more than likely in a storage unit, in an attic, in a basement, or in a garage, or in a spare bedroom closet. Yeah. That's usually where they end up, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And, and because when it's in sight, we, we feel compelled to deal with it, which at least I, I certainly do. But once we've hidden our clutter, yeah. we, we give ourselves permission to not deal with it. What you're saying is, oh, but maybe some of these sentimental items are actually beautiful. That's where I would start. What mm. items here are beautiful that I can display in my home mm. that actually bring out the value? I think we have to mention Candace's question here. Okay. For me, a picture doesn't replace holding the actual item, so I'm stuck. My children's art projects and toys, as well as my yearbooks and childhood keepsakes, fill the attic. Yes. In contrast, though, my home below is very minimalist. What should I do? So, I mean, Candace, if you're not using those items mm-hmm. like Julia is is suggesting and they're just sitting in the attic. I mean, how often I want to know how often Candace this is why I love um uh Clubhouse uh-huh. is because we can we can ask questions back. Like my question to Candace would be like, "Well, how often do you go up in the attic and reminisce through all of those things?" Right. Or how much of it is is you lying to yourself and saying that well, you know, one day I'll go through yes. and look at all that stuff. Right. Because, you know, I think about um, my grandmother's Stein collection, which I've talked about uh, several times before, where she was moving. She had to downsize. Her her husband passed away, and I was down there helping her pack up, and she's got, like, this collection of Steins. It's, like, 15 different Steins. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I was like, I really, really like this collection of Steins grandma like oh my you've really done a you know these are beautiful you've done a good job i can tell like each one kind of has its own little story and i'm like it's really amazing she was like take them all you can have them uh-huh. and i'm like oh oh my like i like 
I can appreciate the collection. Yes. I can appreciate the beauty of each one of these, but if I put those in my home, it's it, they're, they're going to end up in the closet. Yeah. They're going to end up in the attic. Right. So uh, I ended up taking one, which I'm like so tempted to like put a picture somehow on, on the, in the podcast notes of this time because it's, it's got an American, it's a, it's a bald eagle on the top of the stein, like a, like a bust of a bald eagle. Uh-huh. And then below it is uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton. What? <laughs> like from there, yeah, from when Bill Clinton was a president. Apparently Germany like really, really liked Bill Clinton. Oh, wow. So it's like this commemorative Clinton stein that is just the most absurd look. It's not that I'm a fan of them at all or, or, or uh, uh, that I'm a fan or not a fan. It's just a very crazy novelty type it's it's really unique right so um i did i grabbed that one and i use it as uh i keep all my uh i've got like uh quarters that i keep in one stein and then i've got all the other loose change that i keep in the in that bald eagle stein so it still is functional and they're on display in fact i think one of those steins i know for sure is in less is less is now both of them might be in there but regardless Uh they are there uh in use, um, on display because it's also uh, kind of represents me. It's just like some kind of weird art. Yeah, <laughs> is really kind of what it makes me think of. Uh-huh. But man, if I just collected all the steins and put them in the attic, they right. would just be taking up room. Right, and you wouldn't even be collecting them really. Like a, 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 an actual collection. When we think of a collection. What we really think is a curation. Yes, a, exactly. A, a museum can have a collection of steins that's on display and beautiful. And you even you could do that if you had the desire to do it. You don't have that desire. No. And I think that's the difference. And so we're, whether we're talking about Candace's question or Julia's question, I, I look at my own life with my mom. I think the one main sentimental item of hers I still have mm. a decade later is I have a hat box of hers. Mm. And it totally does not fit my decor, but it is in my living room. And, and it stands out, but in a beautiful way because everything else is so curated. It's like, oh, that's... That is interesting. But if I had three or four or ten of her hat boxes, or a bunch of doilies as well, and a bunch of right. knickknacks and all of the and all of her toiletries and bath towels yeah. and <laughs> dressers and all these things, right. her queen Anne bed, like it would just look out of place. But in in my place, you've got that one thing, and it's like, oh, it just stands out as opposed to looking out of place. Yeah. Let me say this about Candace's question mm-hmm. because you, you mentioned we lie to ourselves and I think when we lie to ourselves we don't realize we're lying to ourselves usually. Yeah. And and I will say this because let me let me read that part of her question that really stands out to me. In contrast though, my home below is very minimalist. Mm-hmm. Now, l- think about an extreme example of this. Candace, I know you're not a hoarder, right? right. Think of a hoarder's home for a second, like literally the TV show hoarders where they have just the pathway mm-hmm. to their couch from the couch to the fridge or whatever. Now, a hoarder could say, yeah, but the pathway to my fridge is very minimalist. Mm. Okay, but is it really? Like, where's the line? Right. Apparently, it's the ceiling underneath the attic. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. And, and so, like, if, if that hoarder were just to build walls around that path, then mm-hmm. everything else is out of sight. And then they're all of a sudden, well, th- the rest of my house is very minimalist. Yeah. Here's the thing. Minimalism is not about hiding our things. Your house is not very minimalist if you are hiding a bunch of stuff in your attic. Yeah. And that's not saying that it's wrong that you're doing it. Yeah, there's no judgment here. It's, it's simply denying the truth. The truth is 
that it's not a minimalist home. And that's not a wrong thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not that you should get rid of the things in your attic. However, if they are bothering you, then that is an indication. Yeah, it's a symptom. It is a symptom that something needs to change. So here's where I start, no. Julia. Yeah. I start with the beauty. Mm. The, hat, the hat box that I have from my mother, it's beautiful, right? Um, in fact, the I had the red phone for a while. You remember the red phone? I've replaced it with a black phone. Yes. So I so, still so you got rid of the red phone, uh-huh. and then you're like, oh wow, I need I need a phone because of your apartment building. Yeah, requires you to have a landline, and so it came f- with an ugly phone in my so the unit. front yeah so the front desk can call you. So then you went out and you purchased a black version of the red phone that you get rid of. Now at any point where you like, oh man, I should have held on to that red phone. At first, yes, I was. Mm. But then I recognize that it wasn't as I, I'm not gonna if I replace it I'm not gonna replace it with another red phone, mm. and so, and then it made me realize like oh you you know the boat analogy like if you replace one one bo- one plank on a boat and you replace every plank one plank by one plank is it still the same boat? Oh yeah, I, I kind of felt that way with the red phone like <laughs> if I replace the red phone is it still my mom's red phone it still looks the same right. And if so, what if I replace it with a black phone? It still gives me, here's the weird thing, it still gives me the same trigger of memories. And that is what's important. Yes. Yeah. So I wrote about that in Everything That Remains, the, the red phone. It, it, what is your red phone? The mm. thing that, that, that still makes your home feel like home. For me now, it's my mom's hat box, or it can be something else for you without needing yeah. to water it down with thousands of other items. What are the beautiful items? The dozen or fewer beautiful items that that line may be a different place for you. For me, it's a dozen, mm-hmm. and and how do I display those in a way that evokes the emotion, the feeling, the without tethering me to the past? Yeah, I mean, what I love about this is what you're talking about is using those sentimental items to enhance the environment in your home. Yes. If you're holding on to sentimental items and all it's doing is preventing you from feeling guilty, um, I would just look at that. But but Candace, you know, maybe she's listening to this and she's like, you know, I go up there once a month with my kids and we look at all their stuff. We oh. go we go to the addict and we we you know we we go through we talk about the memories and we we have laughs you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, then to that, I would be like, wow, that sounds like a really awesome experience. Yeah, it sounds like you've created a museum in your attic. Yeah. That's a minimalist thing to do. Absolutely. It's un- that sounds incredible. But, but if that's just, not what I'm hearing here. Yeah, if it's up there collecting dust, well, th- the worst thing is, <sighs> Candace, is if you're leaving this for your kids to take care of, like that is, um, I'm trying, I don't know how to say this nicely. But that that's not being considerate of your children. Yeah, it's inconsiderate. It's it's inconsiderate to say, well, I'm going to hold on to all their art projects, all their report cards and pictures and their writings. Mm-hmm. So, and one day I'll let them deal with it. Mm-hmm. When really it could be dealt with now. And you went through that exact thing with your the boxes underneath your mom's bed. Literally, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the four boxes mm-hmm. under my mom's bed, grades one through four, and it was like, oh, I don't want any of this yeah. I could scan some of it and I did most of it I didn't some of it like, I don't, I'm never going to remember this it, it's it, it's useless for me but you you just conjured some sort of new thought in my head Ryan that mm-hmm. I want to talk about what if instead Julia or Candace or anyone else listened to it they took the attic and with all the stuff in it or the basement or the garage or whatever 
and they created their own museum, their mm. own stuff museum yeah. of sentimental items that evoke the memories. What what does a museum do? It curates those things. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't pile. Imagine if Ryan, imagine if you went to a museum, you went <laughs> to the LACMA, like, there's piles of stuff. Crammed all kind you'd be like, give me my money back. It's art. Yeah, right. <laughs> in in a weird way, that would be commentary on American culture. Yes. And so I would get the sort of avant-garde aspect of it. But Candace, you're not creating avant-garde art here. You're right. creating heaps of trash. However, there you can pan for gold. You know, I, I teach a writing class called How to Write Better, and the third week of that class, what we what we really get to, it's my favorite week of the class. I. I, the analogy I use is panning for gold. Mm. And we spend the first two weeks building up a whole bunch of sediment, uh, uh, rocks and rocks and uh, the, the shitty first draft sort of thing, mm. right? And through all that sediment, you realize like, oh, there are some gold nuggets in here. Mm. But we have to pan for gold. Otherwise, it's just wasting everyone's time, attention, energy. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to have to spend some time, attention, and energy on this if you want to curate it. But creating your own sort of stuff museum in the attic could be one thing. Or you can identify the 12 things that add immense value to you. You can repurpose them. I've had uh, readers and uh, listeners who have reached out to us. They say, I took my mom's old jacket. You know, She had this old... Uh, jean jacket with a bunch of patches and stuff on it and i framed it and now it's hanging in my office mm. and it's beautiful and it was just collecting dust in a closet well what else do you have that you can frame or turn into an art project we've had people take a bunch of old um uh paintings or 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 pieces of artwork and turn them into quilts uh we've had different clothes that people turn into quilts as well and so you you can have these things where you repurpose them. In fact, patrons, if you've repurposed something that is of sentimental value to you, let us know in the comments yeah. of the audio version of this episode. Especially if it's done in a unique way. I, I would love to see those examples. Um, I think the spontaneous combustion rule here works really, really well. Oh, I love it. Let's talk about the spontaneous combustion rule, Ryan. So, you know, Candace can ask herself, okay, if, you know... Uh, those boxes spontaneously combusted in the attic. You know, God forbid there's some kind of attic fire and that's the only thing that went was the attic, everything yeah. in the attic. How would you feel? And if there's any sense of relief, I mean, that is a sign yes. that maybe you got to let go of some of that stuff. I yes. just, I remember just kind of thinking of that rule on the fly when we were uh, at one of our live events. The first time I ever re remember uh, mentioning it, it was a woman who had a quilt and it was a quilt of, like her high school years that her mom had made to bring to college. So it was like these pictures that her mom was able to put on fabric and then stitch it all together. And so it's like this very silly quilt of, you know, a teenage girl yes, with, you know, her friends and whatever, all these like goofy, silly moments. And she was like, I can't display it on my couch. Right. Because it, it looks ridiculous. Right. She's like, but my mom, you know, my mom, she does, my, and her mom didn't care what she did with it. She's like, my mom doesn't care what I do with it. She's like, but I care because it was something she made me. And she's going on and on and on and on and on. And then all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, it sounds like she would be relieved if someone like went and stole that from her and like mm. got rid of her, you know, got rid of that responsibility for her. So that I asked her, I'm like, you know, what would you do if it spontaneously combusted? And man, her shoulders dropped. Yeah. She was like, oh, I would be so relieved. Yeah, I'm like, that That means it's probably time to let it go. And the one thing I'll say, too, is something is – the reason why I like this example also is even though it's so silly, the quilt, and you think to yourself, like, 
well, I can't use it. No one else would be able to use it. Right. Like I guarantee, I told her like, if you give that thing to Goodwill, I guarantee you there's like going to be someone who's going to see this quilt and be like, well, this is random, but they're going to really, really find a way to make that random item. I'm imagining like James Franco would like really love to have a quilt like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. It's not going to, it's not going to create the stress in them that it creates in you. In fact, it's going to create the opposite in someone else. Mm -hmm. So by letting go of our excess sentimental items, not only are we able to free ourselves of some of the stress, notice I said excess, not letting mm-hmm. go of all sentimental items, yeah. but we're able to add value to someone else's life mm-hmm. in a way that we never even anticipated because that's not what we're looking for when we're looking at to let go of our stuff. We're trying to, to, to get rid of some of that pain that is following us around. We're actually being dragged by our stuff. We talked yeah. about that in the mental episode. When we hold on too long, we get dragged. And so you're yeah. getting dragged by your sentimental items. If you let go, someone else can pick up the thing mm. and actually per- repurpose it in a way yeah. that is useful and beneficial to them and it frees you up at the same time. Yeah, give Ryan, someone else a turn with it. Before we get to LaDonna's question, let's take a bio break. Let's listen to a song from Canyon City. That was You Don't Let This Go by Canyon City. How is Paul doing, Mr. City? <laughs> <laughs> he's great. I was texting him yesterday. Uh, he's always working on music. It's it's yeah. my hope that one day you and I can write an album for him. Oh. And I, I have a, a lyrics. Um, now, I mean, he's one of the best writers there are, there is, so like he would actually make the writing beautiful. But I have like this 
like, like uh, anytime like something this lyric this weekend came to my, my mind bex and i were talking all of a sudden like for whatever reason this, this lyric popped up in my head dust off my heart mm. like i don't know where it came from or whatever but like, it's like so oh, that's a perfect first line to a song i have the same exact thing it's yeah. like a list of i got uh two notes one uh with my creative random thoughts one is jokes uh-huh. i have like a whole i don't know man i'm uh, one day i'm gonna whittle it down to like a five minute set um, and then I have a lyrics note. Yep, same. And it's just like these random one-liners. I have both of those notes in my phone as well. Yeah. And so, yes, eventually Ryan and I can maybe do a, we'll, we'll do a stand-up set. I won't be doing the stand-up, but I'll, I'll help with the jokes. Just like I won't be doing the singing uh, on the album, but I'm, I really love writing, obviously. And so, so I think that, yeah, especially with all of our songwriter friends, whether it's we have Andy Davis and Griffin House and mm-hmm. Matt Nathanson, Matt Carney. Um, we have Canyon God. City. So many things we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and and I would love to take a year to focus on one of those projects. Mm. And, of course, we will at some point because we tend to only work on one project at a time. Yeah. And give it our all. And everything else we do sort of supports those big projects. Well... If uh, we don't end up doing either of those documentaries that we we are we've been talking about, yeah, uh, we might be able to focus on something like this. Yes, indeed. Oh man, that would be so great. Let's that get is... back to some of these questions here. Madonna right. has a question for us. What should we do with awards? They have little to no value beyond the recipient, and if you donate them, they'll likely end up in a landfill. Okay, two things that come to mind, um, and I've said this before. You, as soon as you received an item, purchase it or it's been given to you and it's in your possession, you've already hurt the environment. Mm. There is no there is no oh well keep it out of I mean there are things like batteries and you know oil that you want to dispose of properly, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But that item has already ruined the environment. Putting it in a landfill, if anything, you're going to help it uh decompose faster and get back to, you know, its original elements mm-hmm. than it just like sitting in your closet. Um so Anyone listening to this, do not beat yourself up about putting stuff in the landfill. Again, you've already hurt the environment. Right. Own it and move forward. Um, the other thing, too, makes me think well, about- you say own it, you mean stop owning the thing. <laughs> right. Own the process. Own the responsibility. Yeah. And, and own the fact that you've already hurt the environment by having that thing in your possession. Yes. Um, Can I talk about one thing uh, no, related to that? No. Yeah, all right. Go ahead. So <laughs> YouTube sent us this plaque for having, whatever, 300,000 subscribers or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you ever open that? Well, no, I, I, here's the thing. I wanted to do a video where we just like open it and then donate it to Goodwill. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. And so like the Goodwills were all closed and stuff. Yeah. I think Jordan has the plaque now. Yeah. So, so we donate, I guess the answer is uh, donate your awards and trophies to Jordan. But yeah, right. Exactly. But you know what? Like that award though for Jordan, uh-huh. that's a pretty big achievement for him. Sure. So maybe it is something that he has where, you know, he has it on display or whatever it is. I mean, because of Jordan, that's why our, why we have the YouTube subscribers that we have. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a significant thing to him. Um, but, you know, made me think about the meaningless trophies. So when I got laid off, oh. I remember putting in the box uh, where my cubicle was. I was like tossing everything in there. Yeah, you reenacted that for less as yeah, now. And I had the, on top was the this big shiny weapon. Yeah, glass award for you know being best sales manager of who gives a crap mm-hmm. um and yeah i just remember like that meaning so much to me 
because uh, it just sick. It was like this thing on my desk where, like, when people looked at it, they're like, "Oh yeah, like he won President's Club." Yeah, it was but, a way to brag and get, get your significance. Yeah, so I have the box. I'm like exiting the building, and I, I saw a trash can, and I just had this moment of clarity where I was like, "There's nothing in this box. Mm-hmm. Like, I like everything in this box. Like, I want to leave behind." Mm-hmm. I do not want to drag any of this forward with me. So I just yes. took that whole box and like just set it in the trash can and got rid of everything. But that award, you know, this question reminded me of that award and how it did mean something to me one time, but then it didn't. And that's okay. If those mm-hmm. awards mean something to you, LaDonna, then great. Hang on to them. Put them on display. My grandfather, uh, before he passed away, my, my uh, I was talking about him a little bit earlier, uh, my, my Oma's husband, my Opa, I guess. Yeah. Um, he and his buddy had a race car, and it was like they would race on this dirt track. And he had all of his awards on display of all the, all the trophies of all the races that he had won or, or placed in. And it was great because he would tell me, I'd be like, oh, tell me about this race. Oh, and he had like some funny story, some, you know, some funny anecdote to, you know, to that specific trophy, some kind of random story about, you know, uh, he had this hothead driver that was always throwing off his helmet and trying to pick fights and stuff. And I mean, it's freaking hilarious. And those trophies helped, you know, him remember those stories. He would tell me about them. But then when he passed away, my Oma was like, what do I do with all these trophies? I'm like, do they mean anything to you? She's like, no, but they meant so much to to Dick. And I'm like, well, um, what if you just held on to one of them to help to to represent uh, his story of the race car and to help represent um, who he was as a person? But, you know, do you need to hang on to every single one of them just because Dick held on to every single one of them? She's like, no, she's like, that's a really good idea. I'm just going to hold on to one. There's like a first place trophy. She grabbed it. She's like, this is the one I'm going to hold on to. And then the other is like, we just donated. Yeah. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with holding on to awards. It's only when we're holding, and this is goes for anything, right? It's only when we're holding on to it out of obligation. That's where it becomes problematic. So what should you do with the awards, LaDonna? The question is, is what do you want to do with the awards? Right. Or do you want to display them, have them as conversation pieces? Do they add some type of beauty to the house? Because that glass trophy I had for the President's Club, it was a beautiful trophy. Yeah. Um, it could have been a piece of art. Sure. But... Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't. But it, it started to mean something else to you, and, and it represented this well, the sentimentality, right? Mm. This excessive nostalgia for a past that was not bringing you presence. It wasn't bringing you peace. Mm. It was dragging you in the opposite direction yeah. from your contentment. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, like you said, maybe you displayed it because it gave you some sort of significance. Uh, what David Foster Wallace would call food pellets from the universe. It, that's what we all we all want, like these sort of food pellets. Yeah. The, the problem with food pellets is they don't contain any actual nutrition. Right. They are they're empty calories in a way, and and I think the same thing is often true with the trophies that that we get. The trophy does not make the champion. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. Mm. And so, in addition to un- understanding, Madonna, what you want to do with them, understand why you want to do that with them. Yeah. If you want to keep them, why do you want to keep them? Is it because you're supposed to do it? Mm-hmm. Because you're even, there's a supposed to in your question. What should I do with the awards? Mm-hmm. In other words, what am I supposed to do with them? There is no supposed to here. The only thing is understanding. If you understand what you want to do, what they represent, what they signify, they may actually encourage you to let go of them. Yeah. 
Sandy has a question for us. What is your take on memory boxes that parents make for children? I have about five boxes of things collected from their births to their 18th birthdays. Special baby blankets, trophies, awards, etc. I would think having something they can touch they can touch is positive, but I wonder if I'm burdening their future selves with stuff. Okay. How uh, many, I want to know, does she have five children and it's a box for each child or do you have five boxes per child? I think she has five boxes per child. Okay. Which is actually one above the minimum. You're allowed to have four. <laughs> I'm sorry, maximum. Yeah. And We're going to have to revoke your uh, minimalist certificate, Sandy. Temporarily. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you're suspended pending investigation. <laughs> Podcast Sean, make a note of this. <laughs> Here, here's the thing, Sandy. Uh, let me answer your question. Here's the direct truth. I wonder if I'm burdening their future selves with stuff. Yes, you absolutely are. Yep. You don't have to wonder anymore. The answer is yes. If I gave Josh this coffee mug, I'm, this is a burden just in general. Now he has to do something with it. Right. Yep. Even if it's set it down. Remember back in the day as kids, we used to always just hand stuff to each other. Here, hold this. And be like, okay. Yeah, for no reason. You, you recognize that you can do that. To, hey, can you hold this real quick? And yeah. then your hand... And, uh, my brother Jerome would just it'd get crazy. He held you like a giant house plan or something. Here, hold this. <laughs> hold this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he try to hold it back. He's like, I don't want it. And and so he was jokingly burdening you with it. And it was funny because you realized like, oh, I'm willing to accept anyone else's burden. <gasps> well, wait a minute. Your kids will accept the burden, but do you want to burden them is the actual question. Because yes, yeah. you are burdening them with stuff. And the question is, what do you want to burden them with? Yeah. I have a duffel bag. And when I say duffel bag, it's like, you know, two and a half feet wide. It's and full of cash. Yeah, maybe like 12 Such inches. A it's a very small duffel bag. Can I take that burden off your hand? A small gym bag. Yes, you absolutely can. Um, my dad gave it to me. And he's like, here, this, these are your memories. <laughs> no, he's like, here, here's a bunch of pictures of you when you were a kid. He's like, I'm not going to do anything with it. Is it something, if it's something you want, great, here you go. If not, feel free to like get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that is my, uh, and this is why I need to borrow the photo scanner from you because I do want to scan some of these. Um, but it is my bag of, uh, or my memory box per se, but mm-hmm. that is the boundary. It's just that bag you're not going to find any other sentimental memories slash uh, report cards draw whatever it is you're not going to find them anywhere else in my house it's one small little bag so personally i like the idea of having one designated mm-hmm. boundary mm-hmm. for like you have the hat box yes you've got a designated thing for the memory so maybe you know if you're handing your child one box here's the memories uh i think that's perfectly acceptable you know, uh, if that's the boundary that you're setting, here's the thing I would say though, is if you're giving that box to a child or to to your kid when they're an adult, you know, don't make them feel pressure to hold on to it. Yes. You can just give it to them and say, Hey, look, I've curated this very small box, this shoe box full of memories. Um, I thought things were, you know, might be significant to you and you can hold them and touch them and, you know, relive some of your childhood. I do, I do, and I do go through my childhood pictures a mm-hmm. lot. I go through them twice a day. <laughs> probably once, probably once a quarter I go through them. Excessive nostalgia. But like it's in a cabinet where like I'll open it up and I kind of see it sitting down in there. Mm-hmm. And just every once in a while, I did, just did it the other day. I got a wild hair. You know what I have in there too? Mm. Is a Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, wow. That's still in there. Skybox card. Uh huh. Dude. 
that thing is worth like $180 right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so For funny. For some reason, sports cards are like going through the roof. But uh, yeah. but regard, yeah, so uh, Melbourne, he, you were the first friend uh-huh. to ever give me a birthday present. Oh, wow. Like I've never had any other friend before uh, it, when it was in the fifth grade. I had no friend before that ever go out of their way to give me a birthday well, present. Because they were illegal for your other friends. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, because of uh, being a Jehovah's Witness. Right. So Josh gave me a Skybox Shaquille O'Neal in a thick, like the thick plastic card protector. Yeah. And you're like, here, man, happy birthday. And I just remember like really um, just appreciating it. That's why I was like, man, we really are, we really are best friends, aren't we? <laughs> um, but I still have that, and it's in my bag of memories. Yeah. Um, but Sandy, going back to when you hand your, your your adult child this box, give them the caveat of, hey, the only reason you need to hold on to this box is if it adds value to your life. Right. But if you get rid of it, it's not going to hurt my feelings. It's you know I'm not gonna feel like I wasted time curating this. It's just something I felt like I needed to do for you, mm-hmm. and that's how my mom approaches when she gives me anything. Now, mm-hmm. she always will say, "Hey, uh, I got you something. If it doesn't fit with your life, that's no problem. Either you know go donate it, or I, I know someone else who you know will get value from that." And also realize you might be accidentally traumatizing Ooh. your kids as well. There can be some traumas, especially when if you have a child. Tra- I'm not Sandy. Obviously, you're you're asking a question like this. your kids don't have the same childhood that Ryan and I had where there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of physical abuse in our households. There was um, sexual abuse sometimes. There was alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, poverty, etc. There was quite a bit of trauma in our households. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes handing over those memory triggers can trigger the trauma once again. Mm. And so consider that as well. I'm not saying that the same traumas exist, but you know, we don't get to always choose what we're traumatized by. Right. And even when we're traumatized, I, I I think I was 30, it took me until I was 38 years old. So less than two years ago when I really realized how awful my father was Mm. like the things that like I knew intellectually, but emotionally, viscerally having the, the understanding of that truth, Mm. He did some terrible things to my mom, some terrible things to us. He brought me into a world that he wasn't prepared to continue. Now, I'm not saying it was his fault necessarily. He was schizophrenic, mm-hmm. and so he didn't have the free will over you know, uh, his mental health there. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of trauma there. And so yeah. imagine holding on to some of his stuff could be just reliving the trauma there. So we have to be careful with that as well. We have a few more questions here. Let's go down to the bottom. Christina has a question for us. Challenging the idea of, quote, our memories are not in our things, end quote. What if you don't have a good memory? Should the past be forgotten for the sake of the present or future? Let's talk about this. So regardless, let's say you have no memory. The memories still aren't in your things. Right. Regardless. Right. Now, Ryan and I always had that caveat. Our memories aren't in our things, but sometimes the things that we own can trigger the memories that are inside us. Yes. Our memories are inside us. However, if you don't have a good memory, then the memories aren't inside you. It's fascinating. Ryan's and my dynamic is really interesting because I don't remember much before puberty mm. at all. Really? Almost nothing. Hmm. And I, can I don't tell know, you our teachers. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> in weird. Grade school. And so like you don't remember much after puberty. <laughs> right. And so like there's this fascination where where um 
you'll remind me of something that happened in seventh grade. I don't know who my seventh grade teacher was. No mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. I know one. I miss Cordini in eighth grade is because I thought she was really attractive. And <laughs> shout out Miss Cordini. And uh, and I, I remember her. But other than that, I actually miss Norris in fifth grade. She was also attractive. Yes. Um, but it was also Mrs. McKinnon because she got married. Oh. Remember? Yeah, th- yeah. No, not really. No, anyway. I don't remember, but I believe you. She started out as Mrs. Norris and then later changed her name to Mrs. McKinnon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, I so I point in case, uh, case in point. I, I don't remember I don't remember that change. And what I, what I do remember are, you know, certain things, you know, in my adulthood, etc. So I don't have a great memory from back then. And so the memories those memories aren't in my thing still. Mm. They're just gone. Yeah. My memories aren't in me, they're in Ryan, apparently. <laughs> and by the way, memory is such a tricky thing. It's a slippery thing. Yes. It's not real. I've told you in the past, Ryan, I remember when we first moved uh, south from Dayton uh, to this apartment complex mm-hmm. called American Village. It's like in Franklin, Ohio, and it's like... Um, or maybe if it's in some Warren County somewhere. But anyway, there's these woods out back. Mm-hmm. And I remember this giant waterfall back like there. Very clearly. I remember it still vividly. Yeah. It never existed. There are no <laughs> waterfalls in Warren County, Ohio. <laughs> and and so... Oh, wow. But I still have a vivid memory of it. It's probably I just had a dream and it existed in the dream. Mm. But I've, I went back a, as a child later trying to find it. Never could mm. find it. Yeah. Found other things that I remembered there, but I couldn't find the giant waterfall. And so... Our memories, and there are all kinds of studies on this. Mm-hmm. We misremember things. Memories can be implanted into us. We can be coerced into remembering something that didn't actually exist. Yeah. And so we have to be really careful with those memories as well. Here's the truth, though. Hmm. What's the truth out of all of this? Your life is still not your memories. Mm. There is only now. Yeah. The past doesn't actually exist. Yeah. Neither does the future. Now, I want to act in a way that's going to make my future self proud just mm-hmm. because that seems to be the most noble way to to act and, mm-hmm. and so that I can feel both great in the present or confident in the present, but then also you know, sort of set up a foundation for my future self so I'm not screwing over my future self. Yeah. In the past, we what did we used to do? We'd go into debt. We'd do things that were detrimental to our health, yeah. forsaking our future self for the present moment. Mm. That's no way to live either. Yeah, man, I, Josh and I do not have a judgment podcast, so there is no judgment here for uh, Christina. If you want to hold on to your things, or if if you have something of your, you know, let's say your grandmother has dementia, dementia, and you have some things that when you pull out, she gets really excited about, then you know what, that's outstanding, great. Mm -hmm. Then um, keep those things. But to use this logic to hold on to everything I mean, I certainly wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. So there are going to be some exceptions. Um, in fact, when it comes to dementia, I have seen studies where uh, the thing that triggers the memories most for uh, dementia or the, the memories that they can, you know, really get deep into mm-hmm. is when they hear music. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take a whole record collection to, to listen to older music. Right. Smells as well. Smells yeah. are the number one memory trigger in, in human beings. Yeah. Um, the olfactory sense conjures. I mean, you get it all. And it could even be a bad smell from childhood. All of a sudden, it takes you right back to that place. It's just interesting how you get a smell. Sometimes I'll get a smell, and like it reminds me 
of a time when I was, but I can't, I couldn't tell you what that smell was though. Like it's just like a random kind of mm-hmm. particle gets in my nose. I'm like, oh, yeah. that reminds me of whatever, but I couldn't yes. even tell you what that smell. You know, it's traumatizing actually. for me. Uh, a particular smell. Alcohol. No, although it can be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beer, wine in particular. Um, those things, they they are, they're not. They do take me back though. But roach spray. Because oh. we had so many roaches in that house that you see in Les's now, oh, yeah. because our damn neighbor, we had a clean house. My mom was 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 a maximalist, but she was very tidy yeah. and clean. But totally agree with the that. neighbor had was a hoarder. Now that I think about it, like there, there's a smell your apartment had uh-huh. every time we went roach spray. to go play and cigarettes, toe jam, and early yeah, it was cigarettes and roach spray. Ugh. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that is particularly traumatizing to me. So, yeah, a- another way to trigger memories can be through those smells. What did your grandma bake or your mother bake or your grandfather bake? A- and yeah. and they can trigger memories that way as well. Yeah. But the memories still are never in the things. Those are simply inanimate objects. Objects they can, at best, trigger a memory. Yes. And they can still trigger a memory if you take a picture of them. Let's get to Megan's question here. What should I do with sentimental items that other people can't really use? Like my personalized high school drill team letter jacket. It takes up a lot of space, but I can't stand the thought of it taking up space in a landfill. Man, going back to that landfill thing, Megan, uh, as soon as you accepted that jacket in high school, Mm -hmm. you hurt the environment. Yeah. Now, that's not a judgment. That's just stating the fact. Like... the damage has already been done with that jacket. Right. And so the narrative we tell ourselves, though, is what? And, and this is what's fascinating about this question. There are two things. Obviously, the should. What should I do mm-hmm. with this jacket? And other people can't really use my personalized letter jacket. Mm-hmm. However, I was just on a FaceTime call with my brother-in-law. He's the youngest sibling of um, Bex. So Bex is the oldest. Mm-hmm. She's 39. And then from there it goes down to Alec, her brother, who's I think 29 or, or 30 at this point, mm-hmm. right? And he was wearing one of her old soccer jackets. <laughs> Bex is old, or actually it was uh, Libby, her other sister, uh, old soccer jackets from <laughs> Stillwater High School in, in Minnesota. And he was wearing it. What a hipster. I know, right? <laughs> and so, but what Libby could have, of course, said, well, she she could have said, "What should I do with the sentimental item that other that no one else can use?" Well, that's what stories are you? T- what disempowering stories are you telling yourself yeah. that are preventing you from letting go? Self-limiting beliefs. That's the real question to ask here. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, because it, it goes back to that quilt that I was talking about earlier too. There's someone who will find value in that letter jacket i promise you yeah um, yeah and, and certainly more than what you'll find yeah so don't don't put it in a landfill so the first thing is well if i uh, i can't donate it because i don't want to find value in it that's mm-hmm. a self-limiting belief and then you're telling yourself well the, o- the only option i have is to put it in a landfill that's another self-limiting belief right so um yeah i if you really want to get rid of it and it's going to free up space in your mind it's going to uh create a little less anxiety or take away some anxiety then go donate it yes i promise you someone will find that letterman jacket and mm. be like oh wow look at this look at this old school letterman jacket right yeah yeah for sure yeah. let's finish up here with brenda's question i just sold a house that had two dumpsters worth of things and more of my belongings in it why didn't it make me feel good to unload it all Mm. Mm, Brenda. Let me tell you why. There, there's a specific reason why it didn't feel good. Because you wanted it to feel good. 
You're running if you're if you want to feel good, that is actually the problem. Mm. Thinking that letting go is going to feel good. What did I say when we started the minimal episode earlier this week, right? It was letting go isn't always fun. Yeah. But it is always freeing. Freedom doesn't always feel good. In fact, sometimes freedom is painful. Yeah. It's like saying, I went to the gym and worked out really hard. Why don't I feel good right now? Yeah. Well, because of the, the literal growing pains here. You're going to experience pain. If your expectation is for you to feel good, mm. then what are you doing? You're running from misery. Instead of running from misery, what we're running toward is freedom, yeah. freedom from stuff, freedom from the mind, freedom from the chaos. Ultimately, what we have in our homes and in our sentimental items is noise. Mm -hmm. And the narrative we've created for ourselves is I need that noise in order to function. It's going to make me happy. And then when it doesn't make us happy, the new narrative we create is, oh, I'm going to be happy if I get rid of the things that aren't making me happy. Mm. No, 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 that's also a chase, that's a pursuit. Happiness or contentment or tranquility are only uncovered. And those things come from a particular kind of freedom. The freedom that we get from letting go is often painful at first, is often uncomfortable. But that discomfort is the place from which we grow the most. Yeah, you have to let go without any expectations. It makes me think about the movie Inception and how everyone was talking about how awesome this movie was and you have to go see it in the theater and it's Ooh. amazing and you're going to love it and it's twists and turns and blah, 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 blah. So like I hyped it up, went and watched it and it was such a huge letdown. Mm. And I often think like maybe it wouldn't have been a letdown if I didn't have that crazy expectation of like this is going to be one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Uh, if I just, cause often I will go into a movie actually having a low expectation, like, Oh, this isn't going to be that good. And then I watch it and I'm like, actually I enjoyed that. Right. That was good. So there's something to be said about the expectations, um, our expectations in life in general, but specifically, specifically with your stuff. Yes. You have to unload it without expectations. Yes. Because nothing is going to nothing that you can get rid of is going to bring you elation. Right. I mean, you know, you, I, I can't think of any example. You might feel a weight lifted yeah, when right. you let go of the stuff, but don't mistake that for happiness or contentment. Or joy. That is simply setting something down. By the way, you picked up the weight and you've been carrying it for a while, so you're exhausted by that weight. Mm. But setting down the weight doesn't make you happy. It just relieves some of the burden, gives you some of the freedom. But now when you have that newfound freedom, mm -hmm. I talked earlier about my friend who went to prison for a long time mm -hmm. and then he came out of prison not knowing what to do. And he thought that getting out of prison would make him feel good or happy, but it, not necessarily. What it yeah. did is it gave him the freedom. What he chooses to do with that freedom mm. is up to him. Yeah, there's something too about you know, maybe Brenda just got rid of stuff thinking, well, I'm going to be a minimalist. I'm going to throw all my stuff out. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't ask that question before you threw your stuff out, how might my life be better with less? If you didn't get to the why, then it's a, to anyone out there, it's a, it's a possibility that you just start throwing out stuff and you're going to be like Brenda and be like, why am I not happy? 
Um, and it could be as simple as you didn't stop to ask that question. How might my life be better with less? All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Love yes. people. Use things. We'll see you next time. We love all of you. Don Minimalists. <laughs>